This is DeRay Olalia, and you're listening to the Before the Man's Podcast, episode 81. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7-Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location-independent, You've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. Hey, what's up? What's going on, BTM Tribe? We're back for another installment. And guys, I'm excited about this episode because we've been getting in a ton, a ton of questions about this particular subject matter. I mean, we're talking about asset protection. We're talking about the thing that we've been using to create passive income, to allow us to leave our day jobs, to allow us to travel the world. We're talking about how to protect that thing, how to protect our, our investment, how to protect our real estate asset. And so many different people have so many different opinions on how and when and if you should protect your assets. And today I brought on the expert in the space. And I say expert because if you just talk to anybody about asset protection, you could even talk to a lawyer about asset protection and two lawyers will tell you two totally different answers. So I've followed the advice that I love to give on the show. And I've actually brought on an attorney who is actually a real estate investor. So what that means is that he's not going to tell us what he thinks we should do or what he thinks would happen if we protect our assets the right way. He's going to tell us what he actually does as a practicing attorney, what he does to protect his real estate assets every single day. And his strategy is a little bit unique in that you've probably never heard the strategy before. So hope that gets you excited because it's really gotten me excited to know that there are strategies out there that most people do not even know about. And we're going to share that today on this episode. I mean, just think of this episode and quite frankly, every single episode before this, but especially this episode, think of this episode as a master class, learning the ins and outs of creating your business entity. Guys, I'm super excited. And what's funny is today's guest, his name is Mr. Scott or attorney Scott Smith, ESQ. But what's funny about our interview is that we don't even get into a lot of that stuff until the second half. I mean, the first half of the, of the interview, Scott is a full-fledged entrepreneur, guys, and you're going to realize this straight off of the bat. So the first half of the interview, we're talking about mindset. Normally or typically, you would think that a conversation with an attorney wouldn't involve something so abstract. Well, Scott, again, is a different type of individual, and we were able to dive into his mindset challenges, his growing pains as an entrepreneur, what he's been able to face and the value now that he's able to give because of everything that he went through. So this is a jam-packed episode, and I'm super excited to get into it. I'm super excited that you're here, that you're listening, that you're following, that you're enjoying these episodes. If you haven't already, leave us a rating and review in iTunes or whatever podcast app that you're using. And if you think this episode is going to help somebody 
who's in the process of creating a business, starting a business, or they've been running the business for a while and they just don't have the right structure in place. And you think this episode is the episode that's going to help them put that focus exactly where they need to put it and go ahead and create their entity and create the right entity and go ahead and share this episode with them now. I know you haven't heard it yet, but I guarantee you it's a fire episode and you're going to thank me later once you listen to the episode and you're like, wow, I'm glad I shared that with a few friends. So without any further ado, let's get into the show. DeRay's Tip of the Week. So the tip of the week this week is going to be predicated off of Warren Buffett's 10 rules for success. So rule number one, find your passion. So to me, that means love what you do and do what you love. Rule number two, hire well. Again, my interpretation is be slow to hire, but quick to fire. Rule number three, don't care what others think. Think that's self-explanatory. Rule number four, read, read, read. And guys, if it makes it easier, listen to an audiobook. We actually have a partnership with Audible that's going to allow you to listen to your first two audiobooks for free. So any book of your choosing, and all you have to do is visit beforethemillions.com forward slash book to be able to listen to your next two audiobooks for free. Read, read, read. Rule number five, have a margin of safety. Risk is kind of what you make it. The more you know, the more you're educated on a particular subject matter, the less riskier that subject matter is for you. And risk is going to play a major role in your viewpoint of what your margin of safety is and can be. Rule number six, have a competitive advantage. What do you do well that most others can't or aren't willing to do is how I interpret that. Rule number seven, schedule for your personality. Rule number eight, always be competing. Again, the way I interpret this is not necessarily comparing yourself to others, but competing with who you were yesterday, with who you were last year. I mean, competing what you know to be your best self. When you can compete with that, the sky's the limit. Rule number nine, model success. So, In my eyes, that means don't try to go reinvent the wheel. Don't try to be an inventor unless that's your preoccupation. I mean, go learn what successful people are doing and go implement that in your daily doings. Last but not least, rule number 10, give unconditional love. And I think this is the most powerful rule of them all, because if you can give unconditional love, you will clearly, clearly cover all of the other nine rules and you will be a success. So those are Warren Buffett's 10 rules for success. Now let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. We have with us today, Mr. Scott Smith. Scott, how's it going? Hey, it's great to be here, man. I'm excited to be here with you guys today. I've been a longtime real estate investor. I'm in over 10 different states at any given time in every asset class. I have over 1,500 clients that are all real estate investors from all over the country. And I've been doing real estate investing for, for over eight years now. So at that and the fact that I'm also happen to be a real estate and asset protection attorney, I think I have a lot that I can share with you today um, and share with everybody about real estate investing, taxes, banking, you know, asset holding, structuring, shell companies, you know, the whole gamut of what people are doing these days and the latest and the greatest. So can't wait to share with you guys how I got here and you know what are the things that we shall be thinking about when you're considering those topics. Take it back to your, your earlier and your younger years and maybe the inception of the, that entrepreneurial spirit or, or drive in you. And maybe what, what were you doing at the time? What were you discontent with? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of people, I think, believe that like you can will yourself into 
being an entrepreneur and maybe some people can, right? I knew that I was more of, well, first of all, I got told from the time I was really little that I would never be a, a successful entrepreneur. Everybody told me I wouldn't be successful at it. You're not that type because everybody operated from the belief system of saying well, who entrepreneurs were, were people that would able to focus for 15 hours a day nonstop and to grind it out super hard on everything we were doing. And I had none of that growing up. Always trying to find a way to shirk having to go to school. Like I was super happy if I had Bs as long as I was in the top level classes. I'd get Bs because those were like, it was how little work did I have to do to get a B because if I got a B in an advanced placement class, then nobody bothered me about it. And I could get everybody off my back, you know? And then it was like, how little work do I have to do in college? And then it was how little work do I have to do in law school? You know, like, do I even need to show up to class in law school? Or can I just get outlines of the class and study it, you know, spend two days in the library to learn a class and then I don't have to go all semester? And can I just show up to the exams? My whole life uh, was built around how to do as little as possible to have achievement. But come to find out that like life sucks if you try to live that way. Because life doesn't mirror the whole system that's being built in school if that's the way that you operate. And I think that's the way a lot of people are operating nowadays because they get slammed with a game. They get put into a game where it's like, this is boring. I don't like it. What's rewarded is for me generally is to have people not bother me. And that's my reward system. But life doesn't work that way because the way life works and jobs work and building works is built around the fact of there is nobody forcing you to do anything after you get out of school. You can go live in a van down by the river. Nobody really cares about you, right? Maybe your family, but generally speaking, nobody cares and nobody's sweating you to do anything. And after you graduate out of school, maybe you can get a job which provides you that same type of feedback system you had in school, if that can interest you. To me, it never really did. I mean, I was a litigation attorney for two years and really successful at it, but I didn't like it. You know, I thought it wasn't for me, like having to work in that type of environment. And then, you know, I took a month off when I was making that transition to go travel in a sprinter van I had modified to go around the country while I was trying to do some soul searching on like what it is that I wanted to do next. And that's before I was like, you know what, I really just want to have fun again. And I had bought real estate while I was in law school. I had always been interested you know, from the time I was a kid in Robert Kiyosaki's books. And that's how I got back into real estate investing and then helping investors with this area of tax and business and asset structuring companies to, to help them with that. But that was like, but that's a huge transition because it was, it's going from like a place of, it's a prescribed way of being from you're in school to now you're in a job realizing work doesn't really work for you with the way that they set it up. And then having to go through a transition of being able to say like, well, now you're facing me with a really difficult question, life. Like, what is it that I really want? And what if I don't know what I want? Because that can be really hard to know after you kind of dig through it. Oh, I think I want money. But what happens when you have money and you're still not happy? I think I want fame. What happens when you have fame and you're still not happy? You know, how many of these things can you get externally to check the boxes? And what happens if you check all those boxes and you're still not happy? Then what do you do? Right. And for me, ultimately what it was, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, painful journey in a lot of ways. Right. But that's what growth usually feels like. It feels like a shitload of pain with a little bit of a rainbow at the end of it. But at the end of the day, like after going through that experience and maybe it's a necessary experience, I don't really know. I only have the one life to live, but I found this place where I felt like I could really help other people 
and really make a really big difference in providing people like information and ways of thinking about things that I think are powerful. And ultimately, I harness something that was really deep and intrinsic to me that I love teaching and I love helping people. And that's what I've built Royal Legal Solutions into is a company that's based upon the fact of saying like we, the greater we can get taking really complex ideas and teaching it to people in a way that they can ingest and understand that are really beneficial for them, the more successful we'll be it as a company. And that underlines everything that we do because it also underlines everything that I believe about my purpose for being here. And so I think fundamentally the success that I've had as an entrepreneur in this space is underscored with that premise of coming from like a really deep place of like centeredness to it of what I wanted to do because then like 15 hours of work, which is not uncommon for me to do, you know, five to six days a week doesn't actually feel bad. It's not like being, it was much worse having to be like at an office for somebody else's job for four hours. For working here, I'm like, oh, I can do 15 hours. Like I'll just keep going because like this is lining up for me on exactly where I think my purpose is. So I would say like in terms of like a recap of a story, like what's the most fundamentally powerful thing you can do as an entrepreneur, as an investor is actually doing the really deep internal work of finding out like what are the true core motivations for you that really line up for your purpose, your individual purpose, and then getting that to line up with what's going on externally for you. And there's no way that you cannot be successful, wildly successful if you do that, because people automatically recognize the level of mastery and the difference and that separates people that do that from people that don't. And we can all tell the difference. You just have to, sometimes you just have to hear somebody speak and you're like, man, that guy's powerful. Like, wow, I, I want to follow what he's saying. Why do you want to do that? I think it's because you, we all can tell it inside of each other on what people have really spent the time to really line up for themselves on like what they're about and what are they really out for. And then when they share that with other people, it comes across as this huge magnetic attraction. But really, it all starts with that fundamental internal work of, you know, what do I want? What do I really want? That's like digging through the layers of all that. So wait, is that too deep, too fast? No, no, Did that's perfect. It? <laughs> no, no, Scott, that's amazing. I love that. And, you know, I'm thinking about your time as a, as a litigation attorney and you spent a few years doing that. As great as things kind of, kind of were going for you, it was something that you said that you enjoyed and you're actually good at. You know, there was a, a secondary emotion. There were some secondary, there were some underlying feelings that you maybe, you know, kept to yourself for a while. And I want to kind of talk about that really quick. I want to kind of dive into some of that transitional period, because that seems as though that was when the transitional period maybe kind of started or maybe started surfacing. So maybe talk about some of your underlying emotions and some of your feelings and maybe the, the case that you felt that you were in that you were trying to escape at the time. Yeah. So the first thing to point out to the underscore this is that, by the way, I graduated from Albany Law School, right? I got the dream job that I wanted doing litigation because that's what I was always killed it at during law school. Any type of competition around all that stuff, I, mean, I, I was a monster when it came to that. So this is my dream. I was paid more than anybody else that I graduated out, out of law school with, even though I had middle of the road grades. Because remember, I didn't really care about grades. I just wanted to get enough grades for people to leave me alone. So all of these things, and I had like amazing benefits of the job. So objectively, my life is amazing, right? At that point. However, come to find out that actually in going into the work and then clocking in for those nine or 10 hours a day and billing clients and having to be a part of like this other system that was about ensuing insurance companies that denied coverage for people. Yes, I learned a ton about that. And all of that has fueled to help me as, a, as lessons as well as technical skills that now allow me to do what I'm doing today and be hyper effective at being able to coach investors through it. 
But there's no other way to describe it by besides saying is that like we you don't really know exactly why things aren't working for you and you don't really have to know why they're not working for you. All you really have to know is, is a snap into awareness of saying like, does this really line up for me? And is this really look working for me or not? Right. You can get really caught up in a question of why and trying to figure out all of the why as this intellectual exercise about what's going on. And I think that's total BS and a complete waste of time. You're always better off and I've always been better off if I said like, what is true right now? Well, what's true for me right now is that this totally doesn't work for me. And then the questions will become to say, well, what do you want to do next? Like, what do you actually want? And then what, what do you want to do next? And then to make that decision and move forward with that and try not to be rash about it, right? Because you can make things in it from an emotional state and whatnot, right? But the key questions from it is, is I never really have tried to, to diagnose the why question of why didn't that job work for me? I just knew that like that didn't work, right? And that whole system network. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to try something new and maybe I'll learn something different about that. Because really a lot of times what you'll find, and you'll probably find this if you talk to your friends or if you just talk to anybody else, if you start asking people why questions about why do they do this, why do they do that, whatever, they'll just invent a bunch of reasons that like bolster the fact of why what they did was a good decision or why that thing was bad. But none of that's really true. That's not the way that our brain actually makes decisions. Our brain actually makes a decision before we can intellectually process the rationales that justify our belief systems into it. That's a different part of your brain that actually acts slower than the part of your brain that actually makes a decision on are you going to do A or B. So before you even know why you're making a decision, your brain has actually already decided that you're going to make that decision. So then what that would lead us to believe is that all of the rationales that we have about what we're doing totally doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. All that matters is, oh, that's the decision I need to make. And that's where I'm talking about things lining up for you and not getting caught inside of like a mental trap of trying to get into a big diagnosis. It's a total waste of time. Just find out what you want and go for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the way you said that, Scott. You know, it's one of those things to where you look at that, exactly that, that narrative that you gave and, you know, you start thinking a thought, you start believing a belief and naturally your brain is going to start pointing out all the reasons why that belief is true because you've already aligned yourself with that belief. You've already aligned yourself with that, you know, with whatever it is that's on your mind. So again, it sounds like when it comes to what it is that you want, before you even even take a look at the, I guess, the, the the rationale behind what it is that you want, you know, start from within. What I guess, what are your feelings telling you? What is that initial gut reaction? What, what, what do you want to do? And take it from there. Now, when you did that, you know, and at the same time, it sounds like you were already investing in real estate. So, so what, what your appetite about real estate? What, what was so appealing about real estate at the time? Well, real estate was a business I could understand even as a kid. You know, I was reading Rich Dad, Rich Dad Poor Dad and I was reading like other you know, books that are about it that were pretty narrative based, you know, and I could like wrap my mind around the numbers. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. It's like a puzzle, right? Like business is inherently a puzzle that we're putting together all the pieces of, right? And it was something that I could really, you know, see like, oh, okay, I I could see the way that like this would play out and that would play out and the strategy of it really seemed very interesting to me in a lot of different ways, right? So that's why I really think that's really great about Robert Kiyosaki's work that he does with his Quick program is really good about introducing new ideas to people as like on a really fundamental level. I think you have to move off of his work into some people that are more technical and delve a little bit more or a lot more rather into the actual fields of study with it. But that's really what real estate, you know, would really always attracted me to it because I was like, I can really wrap my mind around easy. It's like 
pretty straightforward. Like I get the loan from the bank. I can see the pieces come together. It's not like anything as difficult as what I do now, which is, or what most entrepreneurs are trying to do right now, right? Which is you're really trying to invent something out of thin air, right? Real estate, it's like, oh, it's a simple transaction. I line up all the pieces and it works. I was like, okay, cool. I can wrap my mind around that. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, well said. And again, just kind of reiterate, reiterate what you said about Robert Kiyosaki. I mean, that book is a foundational book because of the ideas that it plants in your mind. Now you do want to go get some technical knowledge and, you know, go learn what it is that you need to do in real estate, how it is that you're going to do it and what strategy you're going to follow to get to your desired outcome. So let's progress down your journey a little bit further, Scott. And let's talk about failure because failure is big for our success. Now I want to know how failure, maybe just a parent failure, because I don't really think failure is failure, but how a parent failure has set you up for later success. Do you have a favorite failure that that you like to sell? (laughs) Man, I fail at stuff all the time. I actually don't think I'm doing a very good job unless I'm screwing up probably a significant portion of the time on things, right? I make sure that I mitigate my downside risk on like failures that I take. But the reality of the situation is, is that unless you can get really comfortable with failure, you're never going to be comfortable with success. Because the the same pieces that build you, the things they don't tell you about and before you start on this journey is that like nobody ever tells you that like success won't actually mean that much to you like when you get there. That like what'll really mean a lot to you is like what you've learned along the way. Because those are actually the stories and like what was the internal building blocks of what it is you've learned and how it shaped your character. And at the end of the day, I think those are like the real gems because that's what makes me up, right? I think this is fundamentally the same reason why people that are like multi, multi multi-millionaires can lose it all and then bounce back incredibly fast from what their wealth is. It's because their asset that they've actually built over time isn't a house or five houses. Their assets are their internal assets. Their ability to be able to navigate in the world and work with people and analyze deals and know how to make decisions and know how to organize organizations together and how to communicate. Like they've built all of these skill sets. And so then they can easily transform into anything and be successful at it, right? It's like that Midas touch. And I think that that's really what we we need to be focused on and more as people and for myself is how do we fail quicker? But to tell you the truth, I mean, the failures that we even have, like even right now in the company, right? Um, even in Royal Legal Solutions right now, we'll run into situations where we'll realize that it's like, okay, well, we did this big launch and, you know, how well did that launch like really work? Like, okay, well, it got pretty well bungled actually with what it is that we expected with it, you know, on a piece of marketing or something like that, right? We don't take risk anything inside of the legal perspective because those are, you know, the pieces that actually, you know, serve the clients, right? Those are the pieces that we have to make sure are 100%. There's no deviation allowed and off of 100% there. But let's say like a marketing piece of it, right? We can say, okay, well, see like, hey, do we want to do Facebook marketing or whatever? And I'll lose a bunch of money on a plan that doesn't work right. And what I, the way I look at that is say, if, you know, I lost $50,000 on that particular marketing plan that didn't work or didn't work out the way that I, I thought that it should, it's only a waste of money if I didn't learn anything from it. Otherwise, that's the cost of a lesson. And this is why like reading books and going to school and having good networks of people is worth its weight in gold. Because otherwise, you end up spending $50,000 to learn a lesson that you could have learned from somebody else, you know, for free. Right now, we do that a lot with the Real Estate Nerds podcast, which is my podcast. And it's about like sharing the stories of the best and worst deals that it happens with real estate investors and like what they did or didn't do that led to their, you know, the greatest success and their worst failures. But it's much along the same lines of like, can we share the stories of what are the things that we're doing that lead to great successes and losses and learn from somebody else's mistakes? So, but yeah, man, I mean, 
I, I screw up on stuff like constantly in my mind, right? But, and then the same token, if you flip that coin over, I'm also out of the people that I met and the things that we're doing, we're experiencing, you know, pretty incredible growth. Like we'll probably have six X the company this year alone, right? But, uh, but failing all the way into the building, you know what I mean? Like a ton of stuff doesn't work right. But like, can we get comfortable with that and just know that the goals that we're setting are so big that we're shooting for the stars and our worst case scenario is that we land on the moon. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I love that. And, you know, you talk about the fact that a successful person can and often does get back to the point of success and reach. And once they go, you know, belly up or they go bankrupt or they lose their business or they, you know, lose all their money, whatever the case may be, but they often find themselves back at that success. And, you know, you look at the opposite end of that spectrum, people who are not financially illiterate, people who do not have that education, people who have not gone through those, you know, failures and learned something, people who win the lottery, they often go right back to the place that they were at before they won the lottery, if not worse, a lot of the time. Well, yeah, I mean, as I say, it's like, if you're trying to separate out life from the journey to say it's 99% of the time, it's not the whole time is 99% of the time. Like I think you still put like a fissure and your mental right. game there, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you can really take it and say all everything I'm doing is the journey, the good and the bad. So what's my role in this journey? Is that like in a lot of ways, like I'm a ship in the ocean and that life is going to take me to the left off course. And then I'm going to swing back and be like, oh, cool, I'm correcting course now. Okay. I went overshot it the other way and now I'm pulling back and I'm on course again. Then if you looked at a ship traveling across the ocean, you would never say that the ship was going in the wrong direction. It's still traveling from Europe over to the United States. Right. But that doesn't always necessarily look like the same line. And that's like the journey of that ship that can be difficult to do, especially when things don't look right. Like around us, we say, this doesn't look like success. This doesn't look like abundance. This looks like everything is going to shit right now. You know, how can you tell me this is what it is? And then you have to realize and say, you have to come back and check back and be like, nope, that's what it looks like right now. But that's not what it is six months from now, right? That's not what it is a year from now. This is a part of the story and this is a part of the journey where right now, just like when things are going super well and I'm learning lessons about what does it take to go super well, right now I'm learning the lessons of what is it, what are the lessons and the building blocks that are going to make me a stronger person here that I, that's going to take me to the next level of what it so is good. I need to do. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, if you can take life with that kind of mentality in my experience, what it means is that when, no matter what the outer manifestation of what's going on is, right? It doesn't matter because my only goal as a participant in here is to be active and trying to learn like what lessons do I need to be learning now and how can I build myself all the internal building blocks up? Because I know if I can continue on that piece, no matter whether things are going up or down, left or right, whatever's going on, I'm on the journey still and I'm still making progress forward with wherever it is I need to go. And it doesn't matter what the apparent conditions are at the moment. I'm still moving forward. And if you can lead with that kind of dedication, that mental mindset, you'll, follow, you'll find that other people will snap to you instantly to want to follow you and to want to be a part about whatever it is you're creating. Yeah, so good. So good, Scott. I love it so much. And I hope the listeners have kind of taken away a, a couple of gems from that one. Now, we can talk about this all day. Like this is, <laughs> this is, this is my favorite thing to talk about, just this area, uh, this area of expertise and just talking about mindset and what you need to be successful and so on and so forth. But I do know a lot of the listeners want to learn about asset protection. They want to figure out this, this complex or maybe not so complex foyer into what you do and how they can start protecting their assets and when and if, and you know, just, just all the questions that come with that. So I want to start off before we talk about how, I want to talk about why. 
You know, yeah. why should we protect our assets? I mean, what horror stories have you heard? Or, you know, what's, what's something that you don't want to experience because you're not protecting your asset? Yeah, well, this is one that I got to learn through somebody else is that uh, I personally know an investor friend of mine who lost over $3 million in real estate from a single lawsuit when he had insurance and he thought his insurance was enough to protect him. That's one go, one lawsuit. A lot of people don't realize that, that your insurance only protects you from one kind of risk called negligence. Those are like simple accidents. And that insurance companies are inherently are in the business of collecting premiums and denying coverage whenever it gets expensive. And we see the evidence of that all the time on the news, right? When things get really expensive, you know, the government has to step in to make insurance companies start paying claims and they, they tend to go. That way. What you don't hear about is when it happens to an individual. But I've seen it because that's what I used to do as a litigator suing insurance companies when they wouldn't pay out claims for people. So what there is, is there's a better way. There's a better path. The better path is not to rely on somebody else to protect you when you have the ability to protect yourself. And, and the way you can do that is with a company structure. So of course, we always have insurance. I love insurance. I think it's, it's something that helps me really get rid of anything that's a nuisance issue that pops up. But as an investor and as, as somebody that has any appreciable amount of wealth. And by that, I mean anything over you know, $50,000 should be taking their wealth and putting it into an asset holding company, taking advantage of the laws of this country. So that way, if anything happens you know, and you're ever sued, the people can't get at what you own. This is exactly what rich people do. Like rich people don't own assets. They have companies that have things for them. And this is exactly the reason why. Because if you shelter your assets into an asset holding company, somebody can sue you all day long. But with the laws of this country, if you form up, you know, an asset holding company in Delaware, Texas, Nevada, or Wyoming, the strongest asset protection states in the country, people won't be able to get to your money. So your life really doesn't change all that much, even if the worst case scenario happens to you. And the, really, this is important because, of course, we want insurance to protect us, right? But insurance only protects you about 80% of the time when it comes into you know, major lawsuits. And, you, and if they deny coverage for any reason, you have a stopgap that says, even in the worst case scenario that could possibly happen to me, I'm going to lose little to nothing. So that way, my life you know, continues down the path of like where I want it to go. Just like we were talking about before as how like we can have this whole deal with mindset and say, okay, well, even the worst case scenario happens and, you know, I, my ship gets totally pulled off course. I got a major lawsuit that bankrupted me. This is all just part of life. Every, everything's going to be okay and I'll continue my, forward on my path. Okay, great. That's sure. You know what? That also really sucks. And it's also really not fun to go through. And that might not be a lesson that you choose to expose yourself to, right? And what I'm recommending for everybody is to say, listen, there's some, there's some simple things that we can all do once we start having any amount of wealth that allows us to be able to say, mm, I'm not going to take that risk. That's not a lesson that I'm going to learn, you know, and during this lifetime. I'm going to make sure that I'm protected so that way I don't end up in that kind of situation. I mean, does that make sense? I mean, because it's really like, it's about peace of mind and it's about security and it's about knowing that, you know, your tomorrow, that even if the worst things happen to you, that tomorrow is still going to be okay. Yeah, that's beautiful. And that's a perfect stopping point, Scott, because I want to peel back this onion so that we, we, we get into every single layer. So we know why we want asset protection. I mean, there's just so much out there that there, there's so much unpredictability out there and the safety and peace of mind of knowing that your asset is protected or knowing that you're protected from any litigation. I mean, you can sleep better at night. Let's talk about, and you've mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I want to expound on it. Let's talk about at what point 
you should start considering asset protection. Now, you mentioned 50K. What does that mean? Does that mean 50K in equity? Does that mean 50K in cash? Does that mean, oh, my the property I have is worth 50K, but I mean, my loan value is at 90%. So, I mean, what, what does that mean? Yeah. So you're talking about total net worth, right? So that's either $50,000 in cash or 50,000 in equity or some combination between the two, right? Yeah. Um, that'll come up. The absolute worst thing that you could do is owning property in your personal name. Because when you own property in your personal name, if anything happens in your personal life, like you got into a car accident that exceeded the limits of liability on your insurance policy, which typically are only like thirty dollars to $50,000, that means they can come after you personally and take everything that you have, right? From your yeah. bank accounts all the way to your property, et cetera. If anything happens on your property, that can also turn into a lawsuit where they can sue you personally and take that piece of property. And I'm not talking about anything that really crazy has to happen, right? I mean, you'll regularly see claims that'll come through where insurance will deny coverage. Like grandma falls through the staircase because it was rotten on the property. You say, okay, well, that's an accident. So you submit it to the insurance company and the insurance company says, well, she's actually permanently disabled. This is a really expensive claim. We're going to say actually that that was gross negligence. That was a bad accident that you should have known was going to happen because you should have known about that staircase. So we're not going to cover it. And this is a subjective type of assessment strictly from the insurance company. They're the one that gets to make that call. And then you don't, then grandma ends up suing you for everything that you're worth. And what do you have to do? You have to defend yourself from that lawsuit and you have to try to sue your own insurance company and their deep pockets to try to get them to pay. It's impossible. This is a very different scenario as if you have an asset holding company that owns that piece of property. I typically recommend a series LLC because it compartmentalizes every asset. Make sure you only would lose that one asset. You don't lose anything else. And the reason for that is because you can recover from losing one asset, right? You can recover from one losing one house. That's a very different scenario than them taking all your houses and your cash and your stocks. Everything that's not in your 401k or IRA is up to for fair game for lawsuits unless you have a company structure in place. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah for sure. And we're jumping a little bit ahead, Scott, but let me, I want to oh, talk about yeah, this real quick. No worries. No worries. Yeah. So when you use that scenario, I mean, I just want to get a basis and I know every situation is different, but how much does it cost to maybe defend yourself from a lawsuit like that? And maybe how much does it cost to also, you know, you want to sue your insurance company for, you know, them not even giving you the, what you rightly deserve. How, I mean, talk about the costs in those arenas and then talk about how much does it cost on average to protect your property a year? Yeah. So the average cost of a lawsuit, it really depends, right? I can tell you at a minimum, just for somebody threatening to sue you or needing to threaten to some, sue somebody, $5,000 in cash. And then that goes straight to the attorneys and they light it on fire, essentially to do some research and to write maybe a couple of letters. And that just gets the ball rolling. And a lot of times you're going to not get out of the, got to get get out of any type of litigation for under say thirty dollars to $50,000 in attorney bills alone. Even if you win, right? You're still paying 30, 50 grand out of pocket to get those attorneys working. And especially when it comes to say suing their insurance company, you can expect it to be much more expensive than that because what they do is spend more money than you. And that's what their game is. They got more money and so they use it as leverage knowing that you probably don't have fifty dollars to $100,000 in your bankroll to come after them and cash that you got to pay out to attorneys on a gamble hoping you're going to win, right? Mm. I mean, you start talking about some risky business. Lawsuits are a risky business because you, at the end of the day, who makes that call of whether you win or lose that business decision is eight random ass people that sit in a box and make a judgment call one way or the other. And that's crazy. That's a crazy system. 
but that's the system we got into it. So the reason that I look at it as saying like where to say 50 to, you know, $50,000 plus is because at that moment in time is when you can start to become the target for litigation, right? One is that people will start to look to sue you because that's enough money for those attorneys to get paid that are looking to sue people. And we see that all the time on TV and advertisements, right? All these attorneys that are looking to sue everybody and get paid commission to do it. And then uh, at the same time too, is that you also are starting to say like, when is it become a point where it like be really painful to lose it? And for most people, that's around that $50,000 mark where you're like, man, if that's my first 50,000, like uh, losing that is really going to hurt. There's options that you can take for asset protection that range anywhere from $500 up to, you know, complete systems that have like tax advantages to it and all, all sorts of other things like silver 401ks and estate planning, whatnot, up to like $10,000, I'd say is like about a range. I say for most people though, you think of asset protection as a one-time cost. So is I wouldn't spend more than say 3%, you know, 3% to 5% to be able to protect it as a one-time cost. And then what you want to look for is what are your yearlies going to be? And so it should be less than 1% per year and less than 3% upfront. And I say that's about our benchmarks that we look for. Yeah, that's uh, 3% of the total value of the asset, correct? Yeah, of the total value of, the, of your net worth, right? Okay. So that's why you can say like, oh shit, well, I got a million dollars I need to protect. Well, like maybe you should start looking at an offshore trust, which costs about 30, you know, 20 to 30,000 to set up because that's inside of the parameters of what you should spend for a one-time cost. And when you think about it, it becomes really cheap if you look at it over what your lifetime is, right? Because you're saying, oh, I'm actually probably going to live another 40 years. It's one time, it spreads over. The things that eat us alive in terms of business are actually what are our like monthly alligators that come up that gnaw away at us, gnaw away at our net worth. It's never the one-time cost that really, that really causes problems to entrepreneurs. Yeah, for sure. I can totally resonate with that. And, you know, just kind of peeling back the onion a little bit further. Now, when we talk about asset protection and you talk about the typical person and how they're protecting their assets before we get to your specialty and what you do, but the typical person, what's that investor normally doing? Are they, you know, are they, you know, going to a typical LLC and they're putting all their properties in that? Is that number one? Like what are the top ways that people are, are protecting their assets? Yeah. So the number one way that you hear about most often is probably like a standard just LLC, right? That's the one like CPAs and you're just run of the mill kind of attorney, business attorney in your neighborhood. They're like, oh, we'll put it into an LLC. And that that's fine, right? That's way better than having property in your personal name. Property in your personal name, absolute worst case scenario thing that you can possibly do, right? I actually think of it as at a minimum what we should all be doing is creating anonymity in conjunction with the protection. Like the LLC will create the protection, but you can hide your ownership of the LLC and hide your ownership of your real estate by using trusts. Trusts are free to create. They don't cost you anything year over year, but they mask your name from the public records. So if anybody looks to sue you, they can't find out what it is you even own. So if you think about it, like from a business perspective, when an attorney or another somebody else is saying, hey, do I want to you know, sue Scott or do I want to sue John or whoever it might be? We say, well, let's look to see what we actually own because at the end of the day, if we sue them, that's the stuff we're going to come after. Well, if it doesn't look like he owns anything, then more than likely, then they're not going to be even trying to file the lawsuit in the first place. Yeah, for sure. And that, that lawyer or attorney has to be really, really good at what they do to even find out that you are the owner of that trust, correct? Because yeah, there's well, still ways, right? Well, if they try to find out with any of our clients, it all leads back to my law firm and to me. And so then it's all protected by the attorney-client privilege. So they actually can't find out 
at all because uh, it's all hidden by like a veil of, of uh, secrecy that's legally protected, right? The most that somebody's able to find out, say you have a property in your personal name, you transfer it to a trust that your name actually still appears on the rolls, right? Of saying like, oh, okay, well, at one point, you know, John had this piece of property there. And that's an area we make it look like it's a bona fide transfer, which we do all the time for a ton of clients anyway, into a trust to be able to sell to investors. And that's what it'll look like is happening in your case as well. So it creates this bridge of doubt that would happen for any attorney that would look like. First of all, your name doesn't appear as the owner. That's one level of doubt. Two, they look at how did the transfer happen? It looks like it's a a transfer that's being sold to investors. The third scenario that comes up and says, well, even if they tried to sue anyway, they actually made a mistake because the trust is actually owned by the LLC. And because of that, you're not actually the owner of it anymore. And so if they guess that, they actually guessed wrong and probably blew a bunch of money on guessing wrong just from the very get-go of it. So not only is it misdirection, it's like misdirection, like a bullfighting where they get stabbed <laughs> in the neck at the same time, you know? Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. Now, Scott, before we get to your your area of expertise and what you provide, which is which are series LLCs. Let's talk about how the typical person who already has an LLC and they're just maybe looking for more protection, more anonymity. And you talk about the fact that, you know, you should probably get a trust. You know, is that so when you give them that a recommendation and they're not looking for anything outside of what they're already doing, but they do want that anonymity or they, they do don't want that protection. Is that some is that maybe the, the best way to go about doing things? Yeah. Everybody has to make a decision on what it is they feel comfortable with, right? Like that's inherent to all of us. And I totally get that, right? My job and the way I look at it is to educate people and say, here's the number of options that you have that are available to you. And here's what you would look like in terms of like scopes of work that we would need to get you from where you're at to where you want to be and ask and, and merely ask a question like, does that make sense for your, for your scenario, right? So the way that legal pieces work, at least the way that I view them, and, and ter- especially in terms of this arena, when you're talking about company structures and trusts and um, all of these pieces that they're really all just different building blocks, right? So it doesn't really matter what people have now or what people's current situation is. We can take whatever blocks you have and then rearrange them like Lego pieces to make it make more sense and to get you into a much better position than you are right now. And that's why I encourage, you know, people to get the information about like what it is that I could be doing. And then you can make an informed decision on, you know, does that make sense for me or not? But there's no situation that's out there that I haven't run into and haven't been able to help somebody at least get into a better situation with whatever they can afford. Because some options are as cheap as just $500 to be able to get some things put in place. Yeah, for sure. And so again, just to kind of recap some of the things that you're saying, the most popular way to protect your asset is not to have it in your personal name, but to put it inside of what is called an LLC. Now, why an LLC as opposed to an S-Corp or a C-Corp or some of the other things out there? Yeah, so definitely at least LLC is if you have you know no real estate or if you only have one property. If you're seeking to have more than one piece of real estate or multiple types of investments, so you want to use a series LLC because it's overall is going to streamline your taxes, streamline your banking into one bank account, one set of accounting records, and still compartmentalize each individual investment you're making as if you had an infinite number of LLCs because that's what a series LLC allows you to do. Um, the reason that you don't use other structures uh, than this is is you could. They all accomplish substantially the same things if you form them up in the right states. Remember, the state's very important. You have to form in Texas, Delaware, Nevada, or Wyoming to get the best asset protection laws. But what the 
the end of the day, what the question really revolves around is what's the taxation? And all the companies that you just mentioned, S Corp, C Corps, et cetera, they all have different tax structures. So remember, we're investors first, right? We're about like, how can I make the most amount of money? And then the question becomes, great, that's our tax piece because that's how we keep the government from stealing our money is how do we maximize our tax benefits? And then we work backwards to say, okay, well, how do I get the best protection benefits? And then how do I weigh all the protection benefits I get with the costs upfront and ongoing, as well as operational costs? Like how much more time do I have to spend actually managing the structure? So the approach I've taken is, here's the best system you could possibly do to be able to have the most flexibility, the least and the least operational pieces with the lowest upfront and the lowest you know, ongoing that we can possibly create, which is how I've carved out my niche inside of, you know, asset protection for entrepreneurs and for real estate investors. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, just to reiterate, your niche is, your niche are creating, you know, series LLCs. And, you know, I want to talk about the fact that let's just say there's an investor out there listening to this call or, you know, listening to this podcast, and they have all of their assets in one LLC. What are some of the dangers that they're facing and kind of talk about the fact, and then you can kind of allude to the fact that, you know, there's a series LLC and you can actually have all of your assets in different LLCs or per se, I'll let you explain it because you'll probably do a lot better job than me. Yeah. Well, the problem with having everything inside of one LLC is that now you've created one big pot of money, right? So if anything goes- And and this is what most people do, right? Oh yeah. Anybody that, well, most people actually have all the property in their personal name to tell you the truth, right? Most people are just totally naked and don't even realize it. Right. So like, that's pretty incredible, right? Some people have said, Hey, well, you know, I read on bigger pockets or somewhere online that said, Hey, you know, I should probably do an LLC and so I'll do that. And then I'm sitting here being like, well, that's pretty good. Except for the fact that if everything is in one LLC, that also means that any lawsuit that's against any of the assets of that LLC, like a piece of real estate or, or whatever the case may be with that means the entire pool of assets of your LLC are exposed. So then all of your assets are exposed. The advantage of a series LLC is you create one parent company with one filing, one bank account, one set of accounting records, keeps everything in your life super simple. But then you can create an infinite number of LLCs for free on your desktop. And we call those a child series because that's what it is. It's a parent series LLC and it can create as many child series of the series LLC that it wants. Then you can compartmentalize every single asset. So if there's ever a lawsuit involving asset A or, you know, one, two, three Main Street, right? That piece of property that you own, it can affect, you know, asset B, C, D, E, et cetera, right? And so you literally can create LLCs on your desktop for free. There's no limit to how many you can create. They act just like LLCs that can have their own EIN numbers, their own operating agreements. You can even have different partners in each one of them. But what you do, it's incredibly flexible. And But for the average person here that says like, hey, you know, I got 10 pieces of rental property or I got 10 different assets or whatever the case may be, all of the income if they're all the same, you know, and it's all yours from the child into the parent, then they have to be the same in this scenario. Then all of the income channels up through the parent through one EIN number. And so you only end up with one tax return that you end up having to do no matter how big your portfolio gets. So in that sense, it's a big streamline. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this sounds like gold out there for a lot of listeners. Like what in the world is this? I've never heard of this. And, you know, it's one of the things to where I look at the structure and it's like to in layman's terms, and you've explained it really, really well. But if people are out there still confused, I mean, just picture, picture, I don't know, picture a house with many rooms or, you know, and you're not fully occupying all these rooms, but every single room, you have something valuable in that room. And this house, I mean, it's still operating as one house. There's one light bill, there's one cable bill, there's one bill. I mean, 
going back to the series LLC, you have a parent LLC and you know, you can still use one bank account, one EIN and things like that. So whenever you get a new property or you get a new asset, you can put it in that house, you put it in its own special room. And if anybody wants to come after what's in that room, they have no access to anything else in any other room in that house. So you have the, this parent LLC and then you have these, what you call child LLCs. And these child LLCs are almost like individual standing LLCs to, and the fact that there's no legal action that can be taken on one and pour over into another, correct? Yeah, that's right. Every single one of them is compartmentalized. That way you can have, you know, whatever happened in one, you know, in one scenario and it completely is, you know, protected from anything that happens anywhere else. So it's that way that you can really know that, you know, protected from ever having to, to be in a scenario where you have a lawsuit that comes up that threatens everything that you own. If your worst case scenario is that you lose little to nothing in any given, you know, situation. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Yeah, man, I think my favorite book right now, I'd still say it's like one of my tried and trues, right? With the four hour work week. It was the first book that I really ever read that was from as, as an adult that I was like, well, this is really blowing my mind with how I should be thinking differently. Nice. That is probably my favorite as well. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. I like Habit Bull because I'm really big into doing really small habits to just make incremental changes in my life over time. Nice. Is that like Habit Share? Yeah, they're all the same, I think. You know, it's like basically like what keeps you accountable and the three easy things that you need to be doing every day to develop a new habit, right? Nice. All on the same nice. line with that. Nice. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? I get to focus every day on stuff that's really difficult to do and hyper stressful, but also like mega fulfilling. Beautiful. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? The sacrifices, a lot of times it's like the apparent fun that you would otherwise be having, right? Like at some point in the day, like you have to make a decision on what it is like, do you want like fun that's like sugar or do you want like fulfillment? If you're not cultivating discipline and fulfillment, then I think in some level, you're also cultivating regrets. And so you have to know what that balance is for you. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? <laughs> probably like my biggest growth mover for me was probably my godfather, who was actually a very successful entrepreneur. And I had done my first like little mini business and he told me I wasn't going to be an entrepreneur. He's like, oh, you're not an entrepreneur. And so like in a weird way, I took it as like a, a weird challenge. And I was like, oh yeah, let me show you what's up. Like I'm going to do it my own way. And it took me a while to figure out how to do it, right? But he didn't have the vision and the belief systems I did, you know? Like he could only see what was the apparent reality of the time, which is at the time I was not set up to be a good entrepreneur. And I was like, that's cool, but you can't see what I see. And so I'm going to keep doing my thing and that's cool. You just do whatever you're going to do. Yeah, that's so powerful, guys. And that, that was just an illustration, but I know you guys can relate that in so many different, different ways because that's what I was doing as Scott was talking. So that's beautiful. Why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? Yeah, man. Let me tell you this. The, the reason that people, a lot of people are stuck, obviously, is because of fear, right? And it's a fear of like taking action. But there's probably really good reasons to not take action, right? There's really good reasons to not take action because inherently really bad things can happen. And you have to wonder about when you're going to go into a new path of what is your real downside risk. So the, a way to beat that is 
is you have to blow up the scope of what your life actually is. If your life is really like I'm successful or not based upon like my financial well-being, you've really put all of your eggs in one basket of like one tiny slice of pie of which is your life. Because your life is really like so much bigger, right? It's like your romantic relationships and your friendships and your family and the vacations you go on and what are the new things that you're building intellectually and, and interpersonally. Like all of these different aspects to it, your spirituality, right? Like all of those pieces build up the much broader context of who you are right and if you what you can do before you even try to stay like i'm going to stake a claim to go for the millions is actually just focus on building out your internal framework and building out all these other pieces of your life that don't cost any money to build out they just take effort and attention to be able to build out and make those really strong and then taking a financial risk will actually feel very small because it's actually only a small part of your life of what's going on with your finances. This is exactly the same reason why you can have spiritual gurus that have high levels of contentment and fulfillment, which is ultimately what we're all seeking, even though they're very poor. It's because they've made the other parts of their life so strong that whether they have riches or none, it really doesn't make that much of a difference to them. Like it really doesn't even affect their happiness one or the other. They look at material wealth as just something that's either nicer or not nicer, but it doesn't really actually matter in the same way that we think that like our identity is tied to it. That's because we've shrunk our identity into our wealth. So, but it doesn't cost anything to actually build yourself out as a person. And it's the number one thing that will actually drive you towards long-term success. So if you're not going after the money right now, just focus on being, you know, kicking ass at life and kicking ass at building yourself up as a person. Nice, nice, nice. Well said, Scott. This has been truly an amazing interview. I've gotten so much value out of this conversation. So I know our listeners have. And if anybody wants to kind of connect with you and learn a little bit more about you, find out a little bit about some of the services that you're offering, where can they find some of this information at? Yeah. So we have, you know, you can contact me, Scott at royallegalsolutions.com. Of course, the website is royallegalsolutions.com. You can call us for anything that you need help with, with building your business or your real estate, asset protection, find out how you can save money on your taxes using solo for. 1k pieces if you're you know any for any non-w2 income you have you know uh 512-757-3994 is a number to our main office line we also have the real estate nerds podcast for uh, that i do that goes into a lot of these types of topics but it's uh, but i'm interviewing really successful real estate entrepreneurs and finding out what they did or didn't do that led to their best and worst deals and finding out what's the human side of investing and being a business person as it relates to very particular things. And we're diving into all kinds of crazy things, finding out that uh, like what the mindset is and how do people cultivate mindset? Um, what are the key fundamental factors that are really separating people out from those that can recover from loss and can take on big challenges and, and those people that do do great deals and, and the journey along the way. So I hope everybody will join us there or, or reach out to us. We have a ton of free information on the royallegalsolutions.com website. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. This has been an amazing episode. Thank you so much, Scott. And we will talk to you very, very soon. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a good fit to work with the Before the Millions team, here's what I want you to do next. Head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash call. That's beforethemillions.com slash call and book an appointment to speak with our team. We'll get on the phone with you for about 45 minutes and we'll get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, what is your cash flow goal? How much are you looking to make every month? Number two, your personalized investing strategy. And number three, the best way to get started using cash flowing rental real estate. Remember, starting and scaling your real estate investments and business doesn't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. 
We've helped clients all over the world start and scale their investing efforts to six figures and beyond while enjoying life and making the world a better place. To find out if we can help you do the same, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash call. I'm Dorel Lallier, and let's talk soon.